I'm going to be in Daniel chapter 3, very familiar story this morning, if you're familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, really, uh, Daniel chapter 3, from verse 1 to verse 30, is one continuous story, and uh, I really want to preach probably as much as anything on the statement in verse 26, then they came from the midst of the fire. But before we get there, I want to read the text so that you understand the story. Beginning in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3, the Word of God says that Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word together to, to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all the officials and the provinces to come to dedicate the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, verse 4. Then a herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Verse 8, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, or worship the gold image which I have set up. Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us from your hand. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, 
And the expression on his face changed towards Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. Let us pray. Father, this morning I ask right now for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon this place. God, I pray that You anoint me to preach in the unction of heaven this morning. God, I pray if there be anything in me that in any possible way would stop you from using me to the fullest this morning. I pray for your forgiveness. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of all our sins. God, I thank you this morning that the old man has been crucified and he is in Christ. I thank you for the new nature that comes through being born again in the power of the Spirit. And this morning, God, I present to you the new nature to be used. God, I yield my lips, my heart, my mind, all that I am to you. God, I pray, God, for a supernatural move upon the hearts of these people. God, that just as on the day of Pentecost, when everybody heard, God, this morning, may we have the miracle of hearing. May we hear Your Word. May we see it. May it change us. Save us. Encourage us. Strengthen us, Lord. God, I pray this morning Your people would leave with more resolve than they've ever had. God, with a fire that was once meant to burn and kill them, God, but only that fire has consumed their heart and now the fire of their heart burns brighter. God, I just pray for a supernatural work that You alone would get the glory for. Save anybody here this morning who needs saved. Move amongst us. Have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, a few things by way of introduction this morning before we really get to the point of the text. King Nebuchadnezzar had set up an altar, an idol. Um, some studies, if we wanted to use American um, terms, it was about 90 feet tall. That's very tall. 
It was about nine feet wide. There's some confusion, or I get confusion might not even be the right word for it, but it's uncertain exactly if the whole thing was, you know, reminiscence of his life. If maybe at the top of the statue was something that was similar to the form of Nebuchadnezzar, and it was just on top of a pillar so that he was at the top of it and he could be seen from all around. But either way, what we do know is that this monument that he set up was a monument to himself. And he wanted everybody to bow down and worship him. He called together everybody. We see that in verse 2. Everybody that was of anything, and then the people as well. Everybody came together. This was the government in tandem with the people of the government, and they were going to bow down and worship. We see that he made a big deal about this thing. There was everybody there in verse 5, the about every type of music you could think of, horn, flute, harp, lyres, a psaltery, whatever that thing is, in symphony with all kinds of music. And he said, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. King Nebuchadnezzar here had really allowed his wickedness to run rampant. We see in verse two, chapter 2 that Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and And when he did so, King Nebuchadnezzar basically said, your God is God. He acknowledged that Jehovah was the one true God. But we see in chapter 3 that he never really made Jehovah become his God. There's a big difference between acknowledging that God is God, between acknowledging that somebody had to create the heavens and the earth, and we can know who that somebody is, There's a big difference between acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and actually letting Him be the Lord of your life. Nebuchadnezzar was king, and so he had the ability to do what all of us in our flesh want to do, and that is make everybody worship Him. This is ultimately the heart of sinful man. We want to be worshipped. We want everybody to think we're great. We want everybody to think we're powerful. We want everybody to think we're wise. We want everybody to think that they can't live without us. Just not all of us happen to be in the position of King Nebuchadnezzar where we can demand that that happen. King Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked man. He was a man that wanted everybody to worship him. And so he set up this idea that everybody's going to bow down to a monument of me. And and here's what he did, because he was kind of afraid people might not. People might think it's silly. And so he did what all dictators do. He said, I'm going to kill you if you don't do it. Now I'm going to motivate you by fear. So even if you don't really think I'm worth worshiping, you'll pretend that you do. Because I don't want any rebellion in this kingdom against me. I can't handle anybody thinking that I'm not great. I can't handle anybody thinking that there's something wrong with me. So I'm going to kill anybody who doesn't bow down. So he goes through with this amazing monument to himself and the music is playing and all the people. I want you to picture in your head the, 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 the actual moment in time. This is a real event. This is not a parable. This is not some biblical story. This is a real event that actually happened in human history. Picture it with me. All the thousands of the people. Many of them are dressed in their regular peasant clothes. But you can rest assured that everybody who was of any 
position in the government was wearing their governmental clothing. They were there, the judges in their robes, the military in their uniforms. Everybody was in their proper attire. And when the music began, those were the only people who didn't bow. Those were playing the music. They had a different job. But when the music began, everybody in tandem bowed down to this stupid 90-foot-high monument of some man. Except three. And in verse 8, we see that certain Chaldeans came forward and accused these three Jews. And I say this morning that God is always looking for the few that are willing to stand for Him when no one else will. And the first point that I want to really talk about this morning is this. When you really stand for God, rest assured there will be other people who don't like it. There will always be the Chaldeans. Hey, they didn't have to say nothing. They didn't have to run to the king. But why did they? I want you to know why they did. Because the courage of these three men showed the cowardice of those cowards. That's why. And they hated it. This is what happens with the the multitudes who just go the way of the world who go the way of everybody else, when somebody really stands in their integrity, when somebody really stands in their convictions, they begin to get a little bit jealous oftentimes. Because their willingness to live in the light is an indictment against the other's willingness to stay in the darkness. And they don't like it. They don't like the thought that it's actually possible to stand in your integrity. They want to believe the foolish lies that they believe that caused them to bow down in the first place. That being that, well, everybody else does it. We don't have a choice. Yes, you do have a choice, sir. Yes, you do. Nobody has to live in sin. Nobody has to go the way of the world. Nobody has to do what's wrong. You can do what's right, and our attitude has to be the same as those three Hebrew children. Kill me if you want to kill me, but I'm not going to serve any other gods. The excuses people make for sin really come from they're looking around at everybody else. Well, everyone else is doing it. Everybody else is compromising in the church. Let me say clearly, not everybody else. That's what the devil wants you to think. It's never everybody else. It might be the majority. I might give you that. But it's not everybody else. God has always had the remnant. We use that word, everybody else, as an excuse to somehow not measure up ourselves. Everybody else is not the standard, ma'am. Everybody else is not the standard, sir. Jesus Christ is the standard, and we measure up to Him alone. Imagine the foolishness of those who one day stand before God Almighty. And their excuse for why they didn't serve Him with their whole heart, their excuse for why they continued to play in sin, their excuse for why they had one foot in and one foot out and tried to straddle the line their whole life, their excuse is, well, everyone else did. What's that have to do with anything? We've got to get some resolve deep in our souls, that it does not matter if the whole entire world turns on God. I am not going to turn. I will live my last 
dying breath if I have to all alone, but I will stand for God because He stood for me. He bled for me on Calvary's cross. He has purchased my soul and I will live for Him even if nobody else does. Now that sounds great and noble, and it is. But listen, the world around you won't see it that way. The Chaldeans will always find a way to accuse. But here we have three men daring to defy the ruler of the world. Daring to be different from the thousands of people of Babylon. May God let that same holy, righteous spirit rise up in us. Religion can be so deceitful. God wants a relationship with you. And He wants an unadulterated relationship with you where you are His and no one else's. That's what He wants. Our hearts can be so divided though. You know, we live in a culture where it's cool to say you're a Christian. It's not cool to be a Christian. But it is cool to say you're a Christian. If you disagree with that statement, and I'm not making a... I'm not making a, a, a um, any type of judgment on the President of the United States. I'm just making a point. Our President says he's a Christian. Because it's cool to be a Christian. It's cool to say you're a Christian. Ben Affleck wears around the Jesus is my homeboy shirt. Is he your homeboy? We can become so desensitized that we forget how holy our God is. And we live in a culture where it's okay. Go to church, fine. Sure, go to church. That's cool. Work on missions, awesome. Help with the youth group, great. Just don't tell me I have to repent of my sin. Then you're a judge. Just don't tell me that I have to turn from what is wrong and follow God. Don't tell me the Bible's true. Don't tell me Jesus is the only way. Here's the problem, friends. That is Christianity. Jesus is the only way. There is no other direction. The Bible is the Word of God and it commands. Jesus demanded that all men everywhere repent. That's the Gospel. And we kind of live in this culture where it's okay to a certain degree, sure, Say you're a Christian, but don't start getting all holy on me. I want you to think about a statement, and may it sink into the depth of your soul. The Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. But what is holiness, Jotham? Holiness means to be separated from everything else. That's what it means. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. The Bible declares, be ye holy as God is holy. That word holy, many of you have heard me explain this before, but it's important that I continue to explain it so that we understand it. We sung it this morning, holy, holy. You know, the angels sing holy. 
around God's throne continually. What does it mean? Holiness is not an attribute of God. An attribute of God is that God is merciful. God is gracious. God is perfect. God is omniscient. That means He's all-knowing. God is omnipresent. That means He's at all places and all times. The fact that He is the eternal Creator God. That He is all-powerful. These are words that are attributes of God. But the word holy is all those attributes wrapped in one. It means there's no one else like God. That's exactly what it means. Who can you compare God to? There is none else. Everything else that we could even possibly try to think of was actually created by Him. There is none other but God. He is the eternal, forever, great I Am. He is the one who spoke and the universe came into existence. He is the one that was in the beginning. That's holy. Now listen to what the Bible says. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. You see, we live in a culture of Chaldeans. Where we just, we say we're one thing, but really we're not. We don't want to hold anybody accountable. We don't want to call fornication, fornication, homosexuality, homosexuality, sin, sin. Unforgiveness, unforgiveness, bitterness, bitterness, hatred, hatred, lying, lying. You know, the Bible says that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. If you're a liar here this morning, you're going to hell. Repent and be saved. I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care what you tell me you believe or don't believe about Jesus. Repent. Be holy as He is holy. Be changed by the power of Almighty God. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. We're afraid to say that. We're afraid to stand for what is truth. And may the same Spirit that rose up in these men rise up in us this morning. In verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury. Look at those words, in rage and fury. Unwavering faith to live in the light infuriates those who live in darkness. Unwavering faith to live in the light infuriates those who want to live in darkness. They just want to be left alone. And they don't like the fact that somebody else is truly living for God. Because it shows that they can too. We want to hide behind the excuse to live as sinners because we say we're all sinners. That's not an excuse to sin. That's not an excuse to continue in your sin and to refuse to repent under the false premise to say we're all sinners. Does this not matter to us anymore? Do you really believe He did what He did? That He died the death that He died? That He bled His last drop of blood? That He breathed His last breath? That He went through the brutality of the cross so that we could continue in sin? God forbid! That's what Paul said about it. Repent and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But know that in doing so, it will infuriate people. I've said enough there and I'm done. But I want to, I want to begin to move now to the persecution that happens when we really live for God. It will infuriate people. 
we kind of have this idea, our lives are messed up, right? And everything is in turmoil, and everything is just going as wrong as it can possibly be, and, and, and everybody in our life knows that we need help. And we finally come to our end of the rope, and we realize there is nothing but God, and that we are in the position we are because we have turned from God, and finally we turn to Him and truly surrender Him and give Him our lives. You would think that everybody around us would... It's about time. That's not the case. I remember being up at 1 o'clock at night multitudes of times with my drunk, messed up, high friends. And we'd sit around and we'd talk a basic statement like this. How long are we going to do this? When are we going to grow up? We need, we need to change. We can't live this way forever. We can be 40 years old, still hanging out, getting drunk, getting high all the time. Some of them had kids and we talk about that. When are you going to be a dad? We ain't going to take some ownership. Well, I finally did one day. I got saved, born again. Guess what? They didn't mean a single thing they had to say. They hated me for it. They mocked me for it. They ridiculed me for it. They even tore pages out of my Bible one time to roll up something to smoke. It came right back into my room. I was still living in the same place. It came right back into my room and lit it up. Because it's okay to be religious. It's okay to be a good man. But when you really stand for what is right and you live in the light, this world hates it. Get it settled in your soul. I'm not doing what I'm doing to please everybody else. I'm doing what I'm doing because I have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and God has changed my life. That's why I'm serving Him. I'm not serving Him to make you happy or anybody else happy. I'm serving God because He is God. So they come and they tell Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is furious. And then look at verse 15. Now, if you are ready... He gave them a second chance. Your friends will do the same thing with you. They'll give you a second chance to get it right. Trust me, they will. They'll play this card. You know, it's just a phase that you're going through. You're coming around. You're coming around. It's just a phase. Are you holier than us? Mr. Holier than thou? Let me guess, you don't have any fun now? You just stick around and read your Bible and do the Jesus thing? Come on. Then they call next Friday. Hey, you want to go out? I thought I already told you. I'm done going out. I thought I already told you. I'm done drinking. I'm done partying. My life belongs to God. They'll call next week and the week after that. My friends were persistent because the world will always give you a second chance to get it right. There came a time when I finally got tired of it. I just got tired of it. Week after week. It was a Friday night. I said, no, I ain't going out. You go. I'm staying home. Here's what they said. And really, they were just trying to get me out of the house so they can hopefully break the walls later. They said, well, why don't you just come? You don't have to drink. You don't have to party. I mean, just come, you know. Just hang out. And here's what I said to my friends. 
I said, you're not going to understand this. But if I go, the whole time I'm there, I'm just going to hate it. I mean, I will be the guy that's in the room that is sucking the life out of the party. That will be me. I don't want to be there. The whole time I'm there, I'll wish I was gone. You'll wish I wasn't there because I'll be the the guy that's just wishing he wasn't there. And I can't explain it, but I'm not who I used to be. That person's gone. He doesn't exist anymore. And I'm not gone. It's the last time they ever asked me to go do anything. It was a time they finally saw, this ain't the same man that we once, once knew. He might have the same name. He's still in the same clothes. But other than that, this, ain't, this is not the same person that we spent the last four years with. And they went their way. But it wasn't until lots of persistence. You're going to have to get it settled in your soul, child of God. I'm not turning back. I've got nowhere else to go. Where am I going to go? I remember that world. It was miserable. I hated my life. I hated everything about it. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. I'm not going back there. God delivered me out of it. So after, finally, they don't take the second chance, the king says, fine, heat up the fire and we're going to throw you in. Here was their response to that. He said, who's going to deliver you from my hands? Notice they said, our God that we serve is able to deliver us. First of all, they were convinced that God is able and he is. And we see faith. They said he will deliver us. But I want you to look at three words, three very important words of verse 18. But if not. But if not, there was an element of realistic expectations in their life. There was an element of the realistic fact. We don't know what God's going to do. I, I, I mean, I, I think he's going to, I believe he's going to deliver me out of here. And I know that he's able. But we aren't God and we don't know the mind of God. And we don't know exactly what he's going to do and how he's going to handle this thing. So just in case you throw us in there and we die, let it be settled and let you hear it one last time. We won't bow to you or any other God. We will die for our God before we'll live for your false gods. Can I say that until that heart takes us over, we'll never see what happens next. Until we give God the opportunity to rescue us out of the fire. We'll never see the fourth man in it. This finally totally infuriated the king. He said, make it seven times hotter. From my studies, one of the things that I think I've been able to confirm is that this particular um, way of death was a slow way of death. It wasn't like um, hours slow, but it was slow and painful. It was just hot enough that they could throw somebody in there, lock it in it, and and watch them die over the next 10 or 15 minutes and scream and pain and torture. But he said, make it seven times hotter. He said, I don't even want to watch them scream for 10 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I want them dead now. He was furious. He said, heat that thing up seven times hotter. They heated it up seven times hotter, and they threw him in the flames. The Bible says... I want you to look at verse 
23. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down. I have written in my Bible right next to that phrase, I might fall down, but I'm not going to die. They fell down. Hey, it is not always easy being a Christian. Just as these men, and I could point to, I could tell this story 50 different ways from 50 different characters in the Bible. This morning it just happens to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of God's people are persecuted by the world. All of them. And yes, sometimes we fall down when all of hell and all of the world in tandem has come together to stop us and to trip us up. Sometimes you're going to fall. Sometimes I'm going to fall. If you pick at me long enough, if you if you come at me enough, if you criticize me enough, if you push me enough, it is possible that there might be a line where I finally break and the flesh comes out and I say some things I shouldn't say, act some way I shouldn't act, do something I shouldn't do, and spiritually fall flat on my face. That might surprise you, but I'm honest enough to say it. You can do the same thing. Don't think yourself above falling. But the righteous man... Proverbs 24, 16. He might fall seven times, but he gets back up. I might fall down, but I'm not going to die. My God is with me. He has brought me this far. He has delivered me before, and He will deliver me again. This morning, if you've fallen on your face, get back up. That's what you need to do. Just get back up out of that fire and realize that your God is with you, that your God is able, and you're not going to lay there in the pig pen any longer. You're not going to lay there and waller and cry about your failures. Get up and serve God. So they fell down. And when they fell down, something miraculously happened. The things that they had been used to be bound up with, burned off. And they got up and began to walk around. What an awesome picture about walking around in the fire. I think about Jesus walking on the water. This is the miracle working power of God in the life of God's children. There's no guarantee that we're not going to go through the fire. There isn't. No guarantee that we're not going to go through difficulties. No guarantee that we're never going to go through a storm. But the guarantee is this, that if we'll keep our eyes on God, if we'll stay faithful to God, even though the rest of the world might turn, if we'll stay faithful to Him, God will give us the power to rise up through Christ, to rise up with Christ, and make it through the storms of life. Whether we're walking in the fire, whether we're walking on the storm, God is with us at all times. We cannot compromise our faith. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I hope God will help me to preach on this for just a minute. I hope God will help you to see what I'm about to say. Jesus was there the whole time. 
Jesus was with these three men from the beginning. The Son of God was present for the whole entire event. But don't miss it. It wasn't until the fire that everybody else saw Him. It wasn't until the fire that the rest of the world could see. I don't like being thrown into the fire. None of us do. But I've had to learn that it's there that God shines the most. Anybody can praise God on the victory. And the rest of the world can say what Satan said of Job. Well, of course he serves you, God. Everything in his life is good. You take away all the stuff that's good from him and he'll curse you to your face. God said, not so. My servant Job won't curse me. And God said, turn up the heat. And you watch my servant stand strong. And you watch the power of Christ in him. I don't like being thrown in the fire, but I've learned it's in those places that God shines the brightest. It's in those places where I can show the world around me I do too serve a God who is supernatural and who is real and active and living in my life. You couldn't go through what I've gone through and come out the way I've come out if there wasn't a supernatural Son of God there in the midst protecting me and keeping me from hurts. It's in the fire. If you're in the fire this morning, know that somehow, someway, God's just trying to bring glory to Himself. Know that somehow, someway, somebody needs to look in that furnace that you're in and see that God is there with you. And that though you're in it, you're not hurt. You're not going to die. You're going to come out of this thing and you're going to come out stronger and better than you were before you ever went in. That is the awesomeness about the fires that the devil tries to put us in, that the world tries to throw at us, that all the persecution that comes against us, we might be thrown into that flame, but it is there that God is glorified most. Nebuchadnezzar comes to the as close as he can and he yells in there, Come out, you servants of the Most High God. And they came out from the midst of the fire. The Lord has not promised to keep us out of the fire, but He has promised to be there with us. And I want you to notice they came out from the midst of the fire. They came out. Every storm passes eventually. Every battle eventually comes to an end. And there's always a time when we come out of the fire. Look at Psalm chapter 66, verses 10 and 12. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water. But you brought us out. To rich fulfillment. We went through the fire and water, but you brought us out. 
God brings us out. It says you've tested us, you've refined us as silver is refined. This is the last thought that I'm going to talk about this morning. I might hit it from a few different angles. But I want to deal with suffering in the life of God's children. Because we do go through suffering. We go through affliction. It's in suffering and affliction. It is in the fire of testing that character is really made. If you want to find out what you're really made of, let somebody curse you to your face. You'll see what comes out of it. Let somebody accuse you of things you haven't done. Let somebody challenge you on your integrity when, you're, when you know good and well you're a man of integrity. You'll see what happens internally. When someone questions you, when someone does you wrong, when someone lies to you, when someone steals from you, when someone's hateful and mean-spirited towards you. What if it's not just somebody? What if it's an alliance of people? What if it's three or four co-workers who have decided to make your life miserable at work? What if it's a husband? What if it's a wife? What if it's your parents? You'll find what you're really made of in the fire. It says that God refines us as silver and gold. One of the processes and I'm not going to preach the entire process this morning. I'm just going to make one comment on it. One of the processes of fire, of of, uh, refining gold and silver, is is making it so hot through fire that it turns to liquid form. And when it turns to liquid form, the impurities in it float to the top. And then you can take and remove them. But if you don't get it hot enough and you don't melt the thing down, the impurities remain on the inside. The process of being melted down is anything but fun. Most of the time we resist it because we're terrified to see what's really in here. We'd rather just stay where we're at and and, and keep it unexposed and go about our way. But God says, no, uh -uh. I have a bigger plan for your life. I've got a better purpose for you. And though your life might look like you got it all together to everyone else in your world, I know because I see in your heart. And right now it's time that I turn up the heat. And right now it's time that I show you what you're really made of. But listen, child of God, God doesn't just show you what you're made of and then leave you there. He says, now let me remove that thing. Let's deal with it. Let's look at it. Let's find out exactly what's in there that's impure. I'm going to have to melt you down and it's not going to be pretty and it's going to be painful and you're going to feel like you're in the fire and you're going to feel like everybody in the world is coming against you and you're going to feel like I'm not there and you're going to wonder if you're even going to come out on the other side alive. But in that place, child of God, I will take you and make you and mold you and purify you into the man or woman that I want you to be. And in that fire, everybody will see. I'm with you. Not that you're perfect. Not that you're flawless. The fact that you're not perfect and the fact that you're not flawless is why you need to go through the fire. But God says, I'll be with you. I won't allow you to go through any temptation. That's not common to man. There will be a way of escape. And it will be through the power of Christ. He's there with us in the difficulties of life.
We go through the fire. Sometimes through the water. But God brings us out. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm done. Peter said, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Some of you here this morning have recently been saved. Some of you, your Christian walk is just beginning. Some of you have been saved a long time. And you can give a big amen to what I said this morning because you know it's true. But to those of you who haven't had that experience yet, know this. God takes you through it because He wants to make you into something great. Be ready for it. It's not going to be easy. I guarantee you that you can hear this sermon and, 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 and get ready and you know it's going to come. And then it hits and you're like, Pastor, is this really God? Is God really with me? Does God really care? Does He not know this hurts? Does He not, does he not know that, that, that I can't do this? Yeah, He knows. He'll be there in the flames. He'll be there. You get it settled in your heart the way these three men did. You get it settled in your heart. I'll die before I'll turn my back on God. I'm going to serve Him no matter what. If the whole world bows down to King Nebuchadnezzar, I will not. Father, I pray that You'd move all across this room. I believe I've said what You'd have me to say. God, I pray that You'd deal with our hearts. God, I pray that this morning, if any of Your children have become bitter because of the fiery trials of this life, God, that You'd breathe new life into them this morning and give them fresh perspective. God, help them to see that rather than staying down and whining about it, You want them to get up and dance in the midst of it. Help them to see You're there. Help them to see You're there. God, I pray this morning if there's any who have not surrendered to You, God, I didn't preach to the sinner this morning, but Lord, sometimes You just deal with hearts. Pray if there's any need to be saved today, they'd be saved. This morning, if you need to be saved, would you be willing to stand up out of your seat right now and come? Give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. When I was speaking about the liar, the unforgiving man, the fornicating man, the hating man, or woman, was God dealing with your heart? If so, would you come? Child of God, maybe this morning you just need to come. Thank God for the fires of life. Thank God for His ability to refine us. Maybe there's something you've been resisting. This morning you just need to surrender to God and say, God, whatever it is you want me to go through, I'm willing to go through it. Melt me down and remove every last bit of impurity in my life. Whatever the need is in your life, these altars are open. Won't you come? So you thought you had to keep the sun all the way.